Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Of Poetry Podcast with the poet Stephanie Burt. Stephanie Burt is professor of English at Harvard and the author of several books of poems and literary criticism. Most recently, We Are Mermaids from Grey Wolf, After Callimachus, Poems and Translations, and Don't Read Poetry, a book about how to read poems. In addition to poetry things, she writes about trans stuff and pop music and comic book superheroes for ComicsXF.com, The New Yorker, and other fun venues. Her podcast about tabletop role-playing games is Team Up Moves at TeamUpMoves.com, and we will have links to all this goodness and more in our show notes. Hi, and welcome, Stephanie. Hi, I am happy to be here. I am thrilled to have you here. Would you like to begin with a poem? That's what we do. So I haven't read this one very often. It comes toward the end of We Are Mermaids, the new book. It's one of the last ones that I started for it. I don't know if it's the last one I finished. Um, and uh, I guess it's self-explanatory. Uh, it's, it's, it's a reprise poem. We are mermaids again. Eyes on the distance past the last homes that remain above the tide line on the coastal plain. We listen for the overlap of salt spray with the laminar flow underneath. Sun changes everything this far south. Nothing for it this far into the future except to be the mermaids and welcome any visitor who can help maintain our underwater villages carved from basalt and sediment full of chill ladders and handholds, indigo gray with canes of coral and broad pillars and child care in reinforced bubbles with painted tails for charm and teachers and town meetings, a kelp farm and mazes for children to swim through and orature, melodious, easily memorized, and anemones defending themselves in colonies on the wet flats, soft gardens and quadrats on the low terrain about the harbor mouth. Speaking about the fish houses, mm, that is also yes. at the fish houses. Mm. Uh, maybe half of all contemporary poetry by people I know and love is just people rewriting Elizabeth Bishop's at the fish houses over and over and over. Mm. Again. I um, would read that anthology in a heartbeat. So, yeah, I mean, there's Paisley Rechtel did it explicitly. If, if you have her, mm. I think last, last, uh, verse book anyway. Uh, yeah. So have some mermaids and some science fiction and some trans stuff and some comic book references and some, you know, rhymed couplets. Absolutely. Thank you for reading We Are Mermaids again. And when you read it aloud, I really noticed the repetition of children. Um, and I think that's so important, excuse me, <clears throat> to to your poems in thinking about generations and, you know, that we're not, not just thinking about ourselves or present time, but future. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I do that a lot. I feel like I have a mode that is very sort of short term where I'm writing about groups of people who are maybe at the same life stage in the process of becoming. Mm -hmm. And then I also write poems that are about the, you know, care that we 
to be taking for future generations. Um, and sometimes it's family stuff and sometimes it's more public facing or, you know, infrastructure stuff. And sometimes it's at the intersection of those things. Um, one of the topics I keep coming back to as a, a reader and, and if it works as a writer is you know, making infrastructure sexy is one word for it. Care work <laughs> is another. I've been writing about some pros lately are more or less generation. I know I'm older than you. I don't know when you were born, but like I think we both were brought up in different versions of it. We have been taught to celebrate things that appear to be disruptive, subversive, revolutionary, uh, blowing things up, uh, undermining a bad regime, <laughs> right? We sort of grew up with the or the original Star Wars trilogy, right? Yay, the revolution. And um, obviously, we live amid deeply unjust power structures that ought to be dismantled. However, I like running water. I think that's probably good. Um, reliable, ideally renewable electricity supplies and, you know, heat in the winter so we don't freeze. Those things are also good. Um, if you get sick, it's good to know where you can find a nurse or a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that. Uh, we as, as humans, even, you know, if we're humans in other societies, need a certain amount of, of reliability and of community that is predictability that is something other than revolutionary solidarity and one of the things that i am increasingly after is a way of writing and reading that honors care work and continuity and maintenance and you know repair rather than seeking to undermine and subvert everything that can be undermined and subverted mm. yeah yeah, and that that poem, I guess, which is also a climate poem, mm. um, is about envisioning mm -hmm. that that continuity. Yeah, um, I, I don't want to burn everything down. A lot of things are going to be underwater anyway. Let's figure out how to live with that. Yeah, and that's. I mean, it's interesting because for me, part of the project is lifting. Um, you know, the care work. And I, something I think about lately a lot is that, you know, you can be a caregiver or a caretaker and they mean the same things, um, which kind of brings up that, that one poem from your, after Callimachus for me, where you talk about the, the words, oh, I will have to, I know I've marked it in my book. Is it the one with the refugees? Oh, the way a word like sanction or inflammable and its opposite are the same. Yeah. Um, the book for fragment 90 from. Thank you for reading that book. Oh, yes. And I, I mean, I think there's such a bond between after Climacus and we are mermaids. Oh yeah. Um, even though of course they're doing really different things. And I think I love the, the sense of joy and um, I want to say something like expansive distance, but that's not the right word. Um but yes, I hope I hope readers will will look into both if they haven't yet already, because I think um, you just do some really exciting work in terms of thinking about translation and versions and and how we live into poems in our own time and 
um, you know, can Taylor Swift be in your poem? Of course she can. And <laughs> lots of other cool things. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's really everywhere. Um, <laughs> and there was a, the, the after Columbicus has been around long enough that it's had a number of reviews mm-hmm. and uh, it has had two magnificently hostile reviews where the reviewers, mm-hmm. uh, one of whom was uh, actually literally William Logan. And one of whom mm-hmm. was, I think someone who'd been a very distinguished high school teacher of classics understood oh. exactly what I was trying to do and simply rejected it. Uh, that vulgar to uh, you know put the x-men uh and and taylor swift and Mm. they didn't think these reviewers knew who laura jane grace was but to Mm. put put things that were contemporary and not you know honored by the past yeah into these poems and okay yeah Uh, Polemicus's references were contemporary mm. him, and Absolutely. part of the point of him was that he was a poet who was coming late to everything, who had absolutely no tribal relation to a local privileged past uh, for whom the you know, holiness or the aura around the things of the past was kind of something interesting that other people believed in. And his goal was to just make these poems that that were beautiful and memorable and fun and also made arguments. Mm-hmm. And something else that that spending that much time with with Callimachus helped me do was be at peace with the idea that poems could make arguments that that you didn't that it was okay to have something to say. Mm-hmm. Um, because the again, I, I think you've you've and some of the people you've interviewed have seen some of this. Um, if you started writing poetry in a context that was predominantly American and predominantly white in the '90s or the early 2000s, you, you would have had friends who thought it was a it was not done anymore for your poems to say something outright to sort of make prose statements. Yeah. You had to be distant from prose statements in order to be au courant. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I no longer believe that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great if you want to keep writing that way mm-hmm. indirectly and in a way that is sort of collage or uh, modernist in, in, in a, a certain way anti-prose sense way but mm-hmm. I, I like descriptions and arguments and claims and i like saying things sorry i'm going on a bit no this is wonderful and it's giving me so much to think about that <clears throat> my head kind of fills up um I, I, but when you were talking i was thinking about how you have um um i want to say a move and i want to say it in like the you know I, this is not uh like Oh, I'm I'm reading you into this reductive. That's not what I'm saying. Um, no. because I was gonna say it's it's a move that does multiple things. Um, but when you you have a repetition and sometimes it's across an enjambment or some, and sometimes you repeat the exact same thing um at as a sort of affirmation, but it changes as it moves. And I'm I was just looking um to see exactly where 
Um, but I love it. I love the way it works in your book. Oh, I just read you actually. It only says children once, but it says childcare. Oh, there you go. I think you were you hearing was childcare. Speaking yes. of care work and, and maintenance. Yes. <laughs> um, but I wanted to bring this up just because in, in thinking about argument and thinking about repetition. Um, of course, I'm a I'm an ex Miltonist by training, so um, that's right. Yeah, I, I thought century <laughs> background. I forgot that you were at one point a Miltonist. Yeah, so you know, arguments my jam. Um, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it's so. You know, you have your poem. I think you close. You close with ligature, yeah. which begins with binary thinking leaves out so much um, in the way arguments work. I mean. There often, often binaryism is helping at some point. Yeah. That that is also that poem's a bit of a Romana cloth, um, a Romana clay. Um uh it's it, because it's um kind of a love poem. Uh to if you read down the the it's an acrostic, if you read mm. down the first letters, there's no reason that you should know this. You get the the name of technically not dating anymore um uh but i'm you know really into him and we talk all the time and mm -hmm. it was at his house on monday uh of of my then person friend um who is professionally a programmer who works with kernings and typefaces and representations of letters and visual media and printing and works for a, a, an imagery production company mm. so it is the poem about being in love with someone who is uh brian's pronouns are he him but brian is very much a non-binary person um being in love with someone who is exists outside all kinds of binaries from mm. the binary that physically distinguishes a K from an E in a situation where they're going to be current together in printing mm. the binary of gender. And also, I guess the binary of, are you is this relationship romantic or not? Like, are you this person's girlfriend or not? Are you dating or not? Like, what do you want your relationship to be? Mm -hmm. um, how, how little we know, how much knowing yeah. isn't. Yes. And it's yeah. it's a poem that is a poem of of togetherness mm -hmm. and of, of loyalty and of I guess queer poly family formation, right? Some yeah. warblers build more than one. Thank you for noticing that poem, by the way. I would never have made it the last poem in mm -hmm. the book by myself if my amazing editor uh, Jeff Schatz hadn't said this is this is the last poem in the book. Oh. <laughs> and he was right. Uh, and you know, there he is. Hi, Brian. Brian is also someone who I don't know if you have people like this in your life. You might and you might not. Um, there are many ways to process the world and the people in it and the way we live to process many art forms that allow you to see sort of representations of who we are and who we want to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, poems and realist novels and science fiction novels are three of them. And there are many others, right? Video games are another one. Mm -hmm. and, um, Ryan is someone who knows a ton and consumes lots and lots of art and is really thoughtful about all of the art that 
comes, you know, across his amazing field of interest, but he's also not someone who does a lot of, of reading of, of poetry. Yeah. Um, and he'll read it. I think he'll, he reads poems the way that I see movies, which is if, hmm. if somebody you care about wants to do the thing. <laughs> sure. But if I'm by myself, yeah. I so many novels and comic books I want to read. Um, but this is also a way of ending with, um, you know, you don't have to read everything. You don't have to process everything. You don't have to learn everything. The important thing is that you don't have to stand alone. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our listeners may not know a ligature is the visible connection in printing or in handwriting between one letter and the next. Mm. Ligature also some people say. Um, and the, and the, and the poem closes, right? We love how the letters can touch. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same, it's the same root word as, as religion and mm. alignment. Speaking of alignments, alignment grids. Yeah. You are, you are chaotic good, aren't you? <laughs> totally. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, was Milton chaotic good? Oh, oh dear. I don't I know. Think was, <laughs> I think he was lawful good. Yeah, he's pretty lawful, I I think. Just anyone who can argue, you know, for divorce the way he does, I just feel like it's, um, I mean, it's great, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think he's so invested in the idea of right thinking, which when I was studying him, I was so frustrated because I could never figure out. I was like, wait, but what? what is right thinking? And it's a moving target, right? Um so it's impossible, but you know, fit, fit conversation, right thinking. It's um, it's kind of it's got this Carl Phillips in um, oh, I'm reading two of his collections right now, so unfortunately I can't remember which one it's from. But he talks about the guise basically of logic being like when you set it up, it just looks like your language follows, right? It just looks logical. Um, and it, poets love to play with that, like we love that. Um and sometimes it works and, and it's supposed to work. And sometimes it's not supposed to work. Um, but the form, like I think being in love with the form itself um, and can you sell it? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The combination of talking about Miltonic logic and talking about the importance of unglamorous care work. Yeah. Means that we now get to talk about paradise regained. <laughs> okay. This is now a paradise regained podcast. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> no, Paradise Regain is great. It, it it is, but you know how they're like they're the you know they're the Finnegan's Wake scholars, and then there are the Ulysses scholars, and then there are the Dubliner scholars, and they're all really really unique kinds of scholars. Um, like one of them Plus is a really none of them get to quote none of them get to quote anything. <laughs> no, it is a problem. <laughs> I always feel like Paradise Regained scholars are kind of a separate from Paradise Lost. Um, Wait, I mean, how many Paradise Regained scholars are there? Well, okay, but that's why I kind of left. You know, I was in, I was actually really solidly in um, Sydney studies at the end of my dissertation, and there's so few people. You know, you know exactly. I knew all the top scholars, and they were. It was a very tiny group, and they were wonderful people. Um, but it's so small. And I think, you know, if you're writing 
of course your writing is your communication and you know despite the the new york times tutorial editorial i almost said tutorial it's funny um this morning and you know poetry's not dead it's very much alive everyone's reading it um we're all passing books to each other the new york times do another poetry dead editorial yes (laughs) like this week they do it this morning yeah (laughs) well who did who's who was it this time uh you know what um because of their some of their uh recent frankly transphobic rhetoric i recently unsubscribed um so i couldn't click the link um but paisley Bactel has already written a beautiful response on twitter so um if you if you don't if you're listening and you don't know this has happened you can go look that up and you know i think who better than paisley rectal to hear from yeah Yeah. (laughs) but um i do want to draw us back to your poems um and i'll I'll, I'll probably cut any of the academic stuff because I frankly I, find it. I, I love it when other people draw attention to my poems because I always feel like that's selfish and I should be drawing attention to other people's poems mm-hmm. because I don't know if my work is any good. I'll never know. But I know that like Alan Peterson and like mm-hmm. Terrence Hayes and and like Angie Estes and, you know, Rosa Alcala and I'm just going to be randomly naming living poets I like. I know they're good. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and I welcome attention to my work, but I, I I'm scared to initiate it. And I mean, I think that's where some of the kind of you know classical there are some there are some really cool ideas about knowing yourself and that self knowledge is is something we also learn from others that we can't just know on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's you know yeah that's definitely part of the impetus for this podcast um yes thank you yeah one gets to know you you and your work and your concerns yeah yeah and it's there's okay. a you want a glass of water by the way we've been hanging out so much before we started recording <laughs> that i'm afraid that you've got like a dry throat something you sound great i just want to be sure oh you know. thank you i actually might speaking of care work i might text someone and be like bring me a glass of water please um but i wanted to you know to come back um to ideas of being and becoming and genre. I mean, even mermaid is a genre in some ways when you think oh, about yeah. it. Um, but in, and we can answer this, we can talk about this separately, but the idea that, um, you know, you're doing a lot of different things narratively in your yeah. book and Stephanie, yeah. I tried my best. I wrote down a list of words because I can't remember the, the Greek critical f- word for what you're doing with speaking through animals and insects and plants and flowers and punctuation, like giving oh. voice. I have prosopopoeia. I have apostrophe. I have anthropomorphism. I have pathetic fallacy and I have thingification, but th- that's how far I got. <laughs> they're, they're all, they're all correct. They're all correct. Thingification is of course, when you turn someone into a mm-hmm. uh, big guy made of orange rocks from Brooklyn, who <laughs> says it's clobbering time. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know that I have done any thingification uh, yet. Uh, although, you know, if somebody wants me to write the Fantastic Four, like I will do that. Uh, ben Grimm is wonderful, but uh, Ben Grimm's superhero name is the thing for people who happen to be listening to this podcast and and, and for some reason don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh but yeah, no, those are all things that I'm doing and I love doing them. 
Mm. And I'm afraid I'm going to repeat myself. They've, but I don't know that I've exhausted myself yet with speaking through characters who are not me and generally not historical real people mm. uh, who are either fictional or not human or not animate. Yeah. And I I've I do that often enough that when I'm asked to teach a guest class somewhere and they're like, come in and teach a creative writing class and you've got an hour and here's a check and here are wonderful students and please do this. I often teach some version of talking objects mm-hmm. as a you know way to make poems you wouldn't have otherwise made because it's been so helpful to me. Um yeah. if you write a poem and you just say I or it seems to be you, uh, then readers may ask where you locate this moment in your own life narrative, or as Alice Monroe says, who do you think you are? Or whether you are attempting to be universal, whatever the fuck that means. Um, I, I, I want to be you know, widely read by people from varying backgrounds. If I can manage it, I don't want to be universal. I don't think that's a possible or a desirable thing. Um, yes. What, I and people say, you know, what happened to you to make you this way? If you're writing about something traumatic or they say, what gives you the right to say this? If you're writing about something fun and you're stuck in your body. And of course, if you try to create a fictional character, then you're, you're creating a fictional character, which is hard. Yeah. And if you try to inhabit a real person, then there are all sorts of ethical problems. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if you're writing about how couples form and how couples stay together, but you're writing from the, the point of view of a stapler, nobody asks a stapler what happened to you to make you that way you were made in the swing line factory. Mm-hmm. And and nobody asked you, you know, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to staple things. Yeah. And uh, nobody says uh, you are culturally appropriating staplers because real life staplers don't talk. That's true. So That's true. I, I discovered through, you know, trial and error and reading Love the Bishop that uh, there's a lot that I could say in you know, by writing in the voices of, uh, you know, a hermit crab and some cicadas and a stapler and a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all from earlier books. And honestly, Advice from the Lights has probably more talking objects than this one. But, you know, Airplanes, um, that airplane poem was really important to me in the process of mm-hmm. writing the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot I can, and, you know, ferrets, um, a lot that otters, a lot I could say mm-hmm. with non-human or fictional non-realist speakers that it couldn't say any other way yeah plus it's fun who wouldn't want to be an mm. otter for 10 minutes <laughs> you don't actually want to be in the x-men if you have a choice yeah uh, but writing about them is fine you certainly want to be plastic uh, <laughs> like that is not a life that you want yeah um but yeah non-human and non-realist speakers just let you say so much more absolutely and um, I've really been on, um, I don't know. I think it's a, a bit of an escape for me, but I've been reading like a lot of grammar 
books and like punctuation and style. And it's just like such a wonderful, it is an escape. Um, and so when I read your first um, poem, your punctuation poem. Uh-huh. Um, so it's right. It's not a sequence yet. It's, it's the first poem that I've come across in your, in your book. And yeah, so near the beginning. Yes. Yeah. And I was just pulling it up to see it because mm-hmm. quotation marks, right? Yes. Quotation marks. And so when I met this poem the first time and the quotation marks, it looks like there's a, an empty space between. And so I thought it was like, Oh, the subject or the speaker is elided. Okay. Like they're absent or, or they're speaking or like, it's, it's a conversation that's happening and, and, the speaker and you like it's like complicity like you know something's being talked about but you don't know what and so I was like yeah and um and then when I got to the your parentheses poem I was like oh it's a sequence and then I had to come back and read it um but I think it's amazing because it, it you know it obviously works multiple ways um I mean, it, it I'm, I'm so glad you like it Yay, so I actually may I ask you to read it did you read yeah it sure punctuation marks or parentheses yes uh, sorry, quotation marks or parentheses uh, quotation marks Okay, yeah, no, I was really happy with that one. And there's a there's a story behind that one. Hang on. Um, there's a story behind how all those poems got to be written, which mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy to tell. I'm so happy with this book. This is supposed to be like mm-hmm. the most fun book that I've written. I hope it's the most fun uh, book. It is. It, I think it's it's like one of my favorite books of your I mean, in everything about it, from the absolutely stunning uh design which when i ordered it at my local bookstore it came in and like my queer bookseller wrote me and was like oh my god the cover and i was like i know <laughs> so-, <laughs> so happy with that tempo in um or, yes. um uh is such a good designer i was really Same. surprised by not by how good it was because everything that of every interaction I had with gray wolf has been like mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. but i was surprised to learn that that designer did not have experience doing comic book art. Hmm. That is a designer who is extremely versatile and does the art that the book needs hmm. and happened to have the technical ability to do that kind of, of comic book art, um, but doesn't, as far as I know, have a comics background. Wow. It's um, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I'll read the poem and then we can talk about it. Quotation marks. We have a soft spot for drama and for memorization. We like to share whatever we have been told. We liken ourselves to tadpoles, to works in progress, to fish hooks, to earbuds, to loquacious teens and to their vintage princess phones. We used to believe that being so good at belatedness, we might never have to get old, which was our mission or our curse. Though our true age is unclear, we have had equivalents in nearly every civilization, both in our efforts at sarcasm and our attempts at protests. Leave our single sisters alone. We come in several shapes, but are never heartless were pointless and never entirely straight. If you ever see just one of us, wait. Amazing. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. I'm so, so much. Yes. 
yeah. So do you want the story? Yes, please. So the 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 um how do people say context of discovery for that is that Nicholas Nace, who is a wonderful critic and editor from Hampton City Poetry Review. Uh, he contacted me several years ago and said, Stephanie, do you have any poems about punctuation marks? And, and I said, no, but I can write some. And it turned out that he was planning, and this is, I suppose, a Miltonist thing as well. He was planning a special issue of Hamden Sydney Poetry Review about punctuation. So I wrote him like eight. Wow. And he ran, I think, six of them. Um, and all but one of the punctuation poems in We Are Mermaids come from that set. Uh, another was written later and rewritten when I realized it was a punctuation poem. Uh, and there are, you know, a couple that have, there's one that got cut near the end and there's a couple that have possibly never seen print because they're not good, whatever. But I wrote a whole group and I realized that these were all poems about queer community. Absolutely. And that each, each one was specifically about another identity or role mm -hmm in the larger concept of, of, of queer community that the whole book is really about. Um, and punctuation marks, of course, are trans feminine. I, I don't know if you already saw that. Sometimes I say this to people and they're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> Make assumptions like punctuation, quotation marks, these particular things, uh, you know, pairs of curly quotes are trans girls. Yeah. <laughs> and every, everything, if I got it right, every line in that poem applies both literally to quotation marks and to trans girls like me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then there's a different subcategory of, you know, modern queer people for each one of the punctu punctuation mark poems in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. I think I think readers who um, love thinking about punctuation in bigger ways. And yeah, I think it's for, I think that's for us. <laughs> so, so yeah. 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 Were you, did you feel represented sufficiently by the semicolon? <laughs> um, you know, the semicolon, we just had a conversation about this on Twitter the other day. It's one of my favorite Oh yeah, um, it's one of. Uh, although I think my favorite punctuation mark is the colon because um, I tend to, <laughs> I tend to not have transitions and um, <laughs> so it's like a thing for me. But um, I mean, I loved all all of the punctuation yeah. poems. You know, um, you know why there's no colon poem? Why? Because A. R. Ammons wrote two thousand of them. Oh, that's true. That's true. It is a very A.R. Ammons. No one can end on a, whew, on a <clears throat> colon like he can. Wow. Well, he, I mean, he, a lot of his poems end on a period. It's mm. just that that's the only period of the poem. Oh, yeah. I'm probably thinking of um, Tape for the Turn of the Year where he does. Let me go get my copy of Tape for the Turn of the Year if it's here. It might be in my office. Now we have to find out what the, the actual last page of tape for the turn of the year is. Um, do you, since some of, some of our listeners are younger than us and are not already familiar with Ammons, 
do you want to introduce Ammons um, while I go get that book? Also, sure. I warned you that I, I tended to move the conversation towards other poets I like and away from me. I'll bring you back. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it looks like all of my Ammons is at my office. I'm sorry. Um, no, that's fine. I, mine is downstairs. Anyway. Tape for the Turn of the Year is Ammons' first great long poem written in the early 60s on um, adding machine tape, which if you've mm-hmm. never seen an adding machine, if you've seen old style cash registers, it's the kind of thing that spooled out of the cash register. So he kept the lines short because he had to and he just kind of kept going. And it's one of his great meditations on keeping going and continuousness and anti-teleological mm-hmm. form. And uh, listeners, Ammons. We like him. Yes, also we another do. Carolina poet too. Oh, I didn't. You're right. I always forget that. I always forget that. And I came to Ammons through um, Tommy Pico's work. Really, I mean, I knew about Ammons and I'd read a little of him, but I didn't really read him seriously until after reading Tommy Pico. And I always end up going backwards through a poet's, you know, like loves. Like that's what got me to Milton was really loving Jeffrey Hill. Um, oh wow. I, I did not expect that. That was that was quite a turn there. That was not what I thought you would say. Yeah, um, yeah. For so many of us, like you read, this is how the 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 sort of the real canon, not the institutional whatever, the sort of artificial canon works. Um, you read the the people who speak to you now, and then you want to read what they read, and then you want to read what uh-huh. they read, and you, you end up reading Sappho. Uh-huh. Like that's. The way that yeah. information happens is that the, the kind that matters is that the, the poets who hold our attention now are shaped by their past and you mm. know, the past. And then if we're curious people, we go and discover that past. And this is, you know, T.S. Eliot was not a, a, a nice person, um, but for at least for a lot of his life but like that's one of the things he got right Mm -hmm. and i love that i love that tommy pico sends people to ammons yeah yeah i think so too and what he does and you know it's it's transformative but there's also um this kind of rushing poetic voice and i mean rushing in the sense of like not too quickly um but full of energy and motion that like you see that motion transfer from, from Ammons to Pico. And I think, and it, it, of course it's transformed, um, but that's really beautiful. So yeah, motion, which is another Ammons word, right? The form of emotion. I was just actually going to ask if you would read whale watch. Yes. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. That's also like one of our friend, Catherine Rockwood's, favorites also that was a poem that was written pretty early in the the process of making the poems that went into this book and um i showed it to friends in new zealand who run a magazine that is read only in new zealand called turbine oh and i was like i'm not submitting this i just thought you'd want to see it and they were like no we need it no (laughs) so i don't know if anyone it's an online magazine, so you can read it anywhere you want. But I don't know if anyone outside New Zealand read it um, before it was in this book. But you read it. 
I did. Okay. Whale watch. If you approach the surface calmly and early enough on a breezy day like today, you might see them go by. Long ago, they would stay for hours in their huge metallic shells with fin-sized bolts, some trailing chains as thick as an estuary eel. They would gather at the tip of each shell and all look out as if to say goodbye to a wave or to a cloud or to ice, which your great aunt may still remember. Now, all their shells are made from bones of fallen trees. For steering and propulsion, they carve branches, which they dip into the sea, then pull back two at a time, like so. Sometimes they grunt or hiss while propelling themselves, almost as we do when we begin to grieve. The woven grids they keep affixed to the largest shells work like baleen, although much coarser. They secure sea grapes, sea lettuce, kelp and bladder rack, the basis of their diet, which they augment with herring or capelin. Take care not to swim too fast or rise too close. Some shells flip over easily and their ability to dive is surprisingly limited, although it varies considerably. They cannot hurt us, though long ago they could. If you stay nearly silent long enough, you might be able to hear their chirps and specks, a work song, perhaps, or one of the greetings or warnings they emit at the upper limits of our hearing. Your calves will likely have more luck than you. Thank you. That, that's so much fun reading that. And like, usually when you've got a poem that's got like a trick to it, you want to <laughs> say what it is in advance. But with that one, you don't. And I always yeah. want to know when I read it, yeah. where in the yeah. reading, people will realize that the whales are speaking and are watching the humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of afraid that they'll get to the end and not realize that that's what's going on. But like. It was, I will say it was rather late in the poem for me because I had gotten up early to read before my children were up and guess what? They were still up. It didn't work. Um, uh -huh. And so I was reading and um, I think it was, on the second page, the woven grids they keep fixed to the largest shells work like baleen. And and I sat there and I was like, I am completely not reading this poem correctly. There's something. And I turned, I was like, no, I have to go back to the beginning. So I think I stopped reading. I went back to the beginning and I, I love it. I love a poem with a surprise like that. I was like, oh, whale watch. <laughs> yeah, the whales are watching us. That's, thank yeah. you. That's exactly what I was hoping for, I guess. <laughs> It's one of, it's, I guess it's one of two poems in We Are Mermaids that mm. really want you to go back and say, oh, mm. how could I miss this coming? 
The other <laughs> one being just an outright piece of broad comedy. <laughs> and I, I think that's one of the most exciting things about reading a new book and reading no poetry. And I'm surprised, like who doesn't want to be surprised in like a delightful way. And, and when you brought up your, your, um, a couple of reviews that were hostile earlier, like um, just to me, that's, it's like a failure of critical imagination because it's like, it's almost that they, they want to see what they want to see. It's not, they want to be surprised, which I'm like, when did you start shutting yourself off? Um, and I think hanging out with kids and people of all ages is a great way not to do that. Um, I mean, there's also bad surprises, right? Like, there absolutely are. I mean, <laughs> there's, a, you know, a, a poem establishes a set of expectations mm -hmm. and um, then deviates from them. Mm -hmm. And if the deviations are too great or too frequent, the expectations get destroyed and you're just like, I don't know what's coming next. I don't care. Right. Yeah. But then if a poem never, never, a poem that never surprises you is boring, but a poem that, that constantly surprises you in every possible way is also <laughs> one that is static, right? And mm -hmm. the difference, the difference between <laughs> '70s and '80s avant-garde poems that are still, you know, readable and and fun, and are you know Ray Armentrout, yeah. and um, '70s and '80s avant-garde poems that are just like this, just seems like nonsense. Yeah, is that it's not a surprise if everything is a surprise. Hmm. It's true. Um. So, and I mean, I'm. We were talking earlier, I didn't think it got into the recording about there were a couple of hostile reviews from my book after Callimachus by um, people with with backgrounds that led them to believe that contemporary properties didn't belong in adaptations from classics. And, you know, that's their set of expectations. You you want to hold some things constant so you can vary other things. Oh. My amazing, you know, brilliant, shy 16 year old doesn't like most rock music because the chord changes are boring. Mm -hmm. um, he listens to a lot of video game music and he listens to a lot of jazz and he's kind of slowly educating me about jazz. Mm -hmm. um, he plays the euphonium. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, other things, piano and bass guitar, but primarily mm -hmm. the euphonium at this point. It's his favorite instrument. Oh. And... Um, the thing about a lot of my favorite rock music and my favorite pop songs is that yes, the the, the boringness of the harmonies allow for other kinds of variation. You're getting satisfied expectation and repetition at the level of the chord changes. Yeah. So that you can do strange things with textures or melodies or vocal timbre mm -hmm. or words. I was just thinking about the the band Russian circles, which I have yet to listen to. Um, but my partner really enjoys, um, but also kind of on the melodic metal, um, but like on more on like almost like the symphony level of music um, when it comes Was to your like, partner a metal person. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Very much so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I have, I, I, keep coming up against the edges of metal people. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite comic book people is a metal person. And then um, it turns out that I, like last year, I got really into this band straight line stitch. Mm. 
who are it's like if Paramore and like somebody's like Cookie Monster <laughs> metal band, like same band. Mm. I thought they had two vocalists, but it, they actually have one vocalist who Whoa. just. I know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is also like conversations with me. I just ended up recommending things and talking about by other people. Well, I, you know, you can back to my work. Yes. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, was do you have a favorite um like queer comic recommendation that you wanted to give the, the podcast oh, so um, many. <laughs> maybe we so should just include a list <laughs> well, it depends i mean it depends on what you want um mm-hmm. i think possibly my favorite work of art from the 21st century of any kind uh at least on you know tuesdays thursdays and saturdays is tilly walden's book-length comic or graphic novel on a sunbeam all of which can be read online if you just go to i believe on a sunbeam.com you can read the whole thing online if you've got you know 1899 on you i recommend picking up the physical book um it is a queer space adventure in which uh a um perfect young lesbian couple are separated by events and have to be reunited at the same time as uh, one younger character has to have a space adventure and an adventure with the dangerous depths of the earth spirits on another planet. And also the adult characters have to figure out how much responsibility they have for the youth and Mm. there's a tournament and everybody rides on flying fish and space Mm. and they do architectural restorations and it's the only really satisfying work that i've read so far that has a non-speaking autistic coded character mm-hmm. they don't say autistic but non-speaking non-binary autistic coded character um who has a romantic life and a sexual life and plays a major role and makes decisions and everyone relies on them and they are together and and awesome and they have like their own backstory it's awesome and, like yeah, it, it just pushes all the buttons and mm. it is a thing of absolute beauty. And if you're someone who's in sort of poetry world and like literary fiction world, you may know Tilly Walden for her autobiographical book length comic spinning. Oh, I do not. Oh, uh, I mean, I'm pretty, based on what I know that you like, I'm pretty sure you would like spinning. Awesome. But it's sad. Mm-hmm. Spinning is about Tilly Walden's real life experience as a teen and preteen competitive ice skater in Texas. Oh, learning wow. to play the cello, which does not work out well, and learning to, oh no, the cello stuff does work out. Something else works out badly. Learning to play the cello, which works out, and um, also learning to draw mm. and um, dealing with the intensely gender normative world of figure skating in texts. Wow. <laughs> and there is a romance that 
I won't spoil it for you, but I'll say that the romance is something that shows up in one form or another in most of Tilly Walden's works. Mm -hmm. And that it is replayed in the space setting of On a Sunbeam, um, where it has a satisfying conclusion. Cool. Oh, also On a Sunbeam uh, no has no one with he, him pronouns. Mm. Wow. It's, they don't say anything about it. It's just, it's possible yeah. for guys in that world you just yeah. don't meet everyone is either she her or they them cool um and it's it's just physically beautiful it's every page mm. is something um if, if you want i can tell you my 10 favorite superhero comics uh or my favorite like set in this world super fun trans comic but if you want one queer comic recommendation it's tilly walden's on a sunbeam Thank you. Um, yeah, I was, you know, one of the questions I see on Twitter a lot is parents wondering about um, like queer comics for their kids. And like, I was literally in the comic store with my kids yesterday and we got the first volume of Lumberjanes, but they also really love um, Wind, W-Y-N-D. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so that's why I was wondering, it's like, oh, is there a book? Stephanie, because I know you. So many. Yeah. Um, Eleven. Honest Sunbeam is for teens and adults. <laughs> possible that your 11-year-old will love it. Um, it's also possible that your 11-year-old will say this is 300 pages and it's a <laughs> lot for me because I'm 11. Um, I assume you've already read Bone. Yes. Okay, good. Um <laughs> And, and you know, where to go with that depends on whether your kids want realism or whether they want, uh, you know, superhero adventures and dragons in space. Yeah, they like fantasy a lot. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to, if what they want is fantasy, I'm not going to bother recommending more like teen soap opera realism. Um, although it's a great time for that. And, you mm -hmm. know, I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, does it need to be specifically queer or can it just be kind of queer friendly? Oh yeah, no, it can be. I mean, I think if you love it, they'll love it. Um, okay. so for 11 and also eight and like eight year olds can read this too. Um, they're probably the right age for the wings of fire series. Oh, they do love those. Yeah. Um, there are wing, five million. There's wings more of fire. I want to say we only have the first three though. And our library, I'm really because I'm a, I'm a huge graphic novel fan. Mm -hmm. Our library is has an amazing selection now, which that did not used to be the case. Wow, it's it's parents like us telling the library what to order, and like <laughs> all they also also they need is one they need one librarian. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Um, yeah, anything drawn by Marika Tamaki is going to be good. T a m a k i. Um. And she has written some big two comics um, and her her Harley Quinn graphic novel drawn by Steve Pug is actually great. Mm -hmm. Her Marvel is honestly not her best work. Mm -hmm. um, something else that, uh, I mean, it's not fantasy, but it's super queer friendly and trans friendly and super feminist and fun. Although it's also very femme, that's kind of the point. So yeah. if you don't have like super femme people in your household... Not no. Oh, uh I mean, my kids are very like I don't know, they've got their own like culture going. It's 
it is. Okay. It's it's very cat and dragons and cutes and like they like yeah. cute a lot. So yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, so the yeah no that's my twelve year old also and me me. Um, <laughs> if you haven't already, I strongly recommend the first couple of volumes at least of the Gem and the Holograms graphic novel. Cool. Um, I mean, they were originally published as floppy comics. Um, they the the stuff was co-created by Kelly Thompson and Sophie Campbell, who is now writing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Kelly Thompson oh, had cool. moved on to writing a whole bunch of Marvel stuff. Yeah, um, but this is amazing. Um, you want in check out the first volume mm. and see whether you like it, and that's by Thompson and Campbell. Okay. Um. And then you can see if you want to move on. It's the Gem and the Hologram story. If you awesome. don't, do you know what they who they are? No. Um, so this was an extremely cheesy 80s cartoon yeah. that was the same vintage as the original 80s Shira mm -hmm. cartoon, if that mm -hmm. helps. Yeah. Assume you're Shira fans already. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you have followed Noel's the uh, uh Nate Stevenson's recent journey no oh okay this is maybe something you should know if you're a Shira house and i believe there's a Shira poem in we are mermaids we can get back to that that book i f i forget whether we took one of them out but at one point there were two different Shira poems mm -hmm. in there um with perhaps more to come <laughs> yeah uh, and yes there is Shira fan fiction by me but mm -hmm. i won't tell you how to find it <laughs> I will tell you how to find my public facing, you know, G rated X Men fan fiction. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah. Of uh, uh, Shira, though, have you gotten to the end? Have you watched the whole thing? Um, so I have not. I've only seen some of it. My children have watched all of it. It really is that good. Yeah. Yeah. We have so many. I mean, we just, we just finished watching Amphibia together. We love the Owl House. We watched um, Summer Camp Island. We love Summer Camp. You know, so um, they, they. I have to at some point. I have to put a little limit on the media, or else I will get nothing else done. <laughs> Especially over holidays. That's right. So. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It is worth getting to the end of Shira. Yes. Um, I, I recommend it. We are. Uh, my twelve-year-old love the owl house enough that they are leading me through it and rewatching it, which is a very so gentle thing. Good. Yes. Yeah. I think, and I think my children would do the same. They're very yeah. generous that way. <laughs> but the, the showrunner for the showrunner for Shira, who became famous very fast with the, the mm -hmm. comic Nimona. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Which my kids love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, non-binary mask mm -hmm. and um got the job as the showrunner for Shira um before figuring a lot of this stuff out and had the biggest professional opportunity of his life a thing that doesn't normally come to people under 30 mm. which was a multi-year commitment to doing something that required femininity uh -huh. as a condition of doing the job. Yeah. And waited to come out until 
the show was right mm-hmm. and got top surgery and uh it goes by Nate Stevenson now and um I think there are other professional names in some contexts like for mm-hmm. um, continuity mm-hmm. uh, but has just had one of these and you know really exemplary journeys and mm. i recommend and in fact i reviewed somewhere um nate stevenson's collection of autobiographical comics oh cool we will also I'll... include his sort of mental health stuff yeah and his falling in love with the great cartoonist molly ostertag whose mm. work i also recommend and your kids are probably already reading awesome well, i will I will include a link yeah. in our show notes to make sure people can read that. Title, uh, uh, because some people are sitting in the cars. Um, it is a book called The Fire Never Goes Out, A Memoir in Pictures. Hmm. And N.D. Stevenson is the professional name. The work is going to appear as N.D. Stevenson. Great. Thank you for that. And I just want to pull us back i know i gave you a question that absolutely called on your expertise and then pulled you away from your book in a way in a way um but i think you know being being open to all the different interests that make a poet's work and you know we've already briefly touched on ammons and pico and um Mm. people who like really are like no i don't want to say they're that's terrible. Like they're like a, fil- <laughs> like a filtering system, but like the language goes through them and you know, it, it really, I think that writing is such a form of communication that's like, for some of us, it's, it's one of our primary um, forms, you know, rather than my parents' generation was, it was such a telephone generation. Um, yeah. I'm and- old enough that I am on the phone a lot. I spend a lot of time in a car when you can yeah. call text but like yeah yeah we are moving towards more writing and not less mm-hmm. exactly yeah exactly. yeah so the texting and the list making and everything we do on our tiny computer phones mm-hmm. um in short forms lyric yeah stephanie is there a poem you'd like to read in closing oh yeah are we closing i know <laughs> Um, also as a as a you know a journal well self-interested editor i want i want to point out that love poem with comic books on saturdays in stephanie's we are mermaids um it can also be found at moist poetry journal so well let's let's read that one then that was a really important poem for me because it's one of the just I'll 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 take us out with like an overview of, of, mm. of this book because mm-hmm. it's like you know global climate change book and like there's a slice of it that's like oh no life under Trump things are scary and yeah. it's full of superheroes and it's got all the talking objects and it's got the punctuation but really it's my book about you know finding our people it's my book about community and queer community and erotic community mm-hmm. and learning that I didn't have to live in a a silo and wall off 
parts of who I am and who I can be mm -hmm. in order to be a good person. Yeah. Which means it's also a poly book. Mm -hmm. It's a, a book where part of what the book is doing is saying. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's okay to be really attached and erotically attached to this person and that person and that person. And mm -hmm. it's even okay to kiss one of those people on Thursday while, you know, after enjoying a wonderful meal at home and then kiss another person who you're into on Saturday with all of your comic books spread out on your bed. Mm -hmm. you know, the way maybe you wanted to do when you were 12 and never got to, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, just, you know, don't, don't lie about it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a book of getting there and a book of getting there, honestly, through in particular comic book properties, superhero properties, which turned out to be easier for me to come out through than, mm -hmm. than most others. Um, and, um, you know, some of the love poems in here have particular real world people who they are about and some of them are celebrations of queer embodiment and queer community in in a less specific way mm -hmm. and i'm not going to say which one this is mm -hmm. love poem with comic books on saturdays it's better when you blush before you kiss me better if they don't find out let's tie each other's shoes Let's run a race we mean to lose. Let's have a crush that violates the spirit, but never the letter of the comics code, where what you almost see is more important than what you can. Let's run together like melted butter under our shared cotton coverlet tonight and never let anyone tell us we're brave or foolish or bold, nor give each other reason to doubt. Let's make each other toast tomorrow morning. Get out your pocket calendar. Let's make our sleepover plan. Thank you. Thank you for publishing it, Han. Thank oh, you. My pleasure. Thrilled. Kind of attention. I I want to do this again. We can talk about pecan light and like reciprocate. And thank you. Oh, thank you. I just I want to say that um, the line from at the Parkway Deli. You can know what you need before you know why. Um, wow. It's just like, oh, so big. <laughs> it's one of those, let me, you know, the lines that let you cry. Not yeah. that make you cry, Thank but you. let you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so it much. It worked. it worked. You may be my ideal reader. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I really appreciate your poems in the world. And I, I, you blew my mind when you said that it's also a climate um, book because yes, of course, I just, you know, and I think what that does with accompanying the idea of mermaids. Um, yeah. And I had my head very much in like a, a gender genre space. And, but yes, um, I can totally, you know, now I'm going to, I'm like, oh, well now I have to reread the book too. So <laughs> I mean, you, you can, but yeah, I mean, that's where, where my head goes with climate stuff is like, mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, there are enough poets who are doing sort of mourning and, oh no, look at all the things that we're going to lose and look how terrible it's going to be. And in fact, terrible things are coming. 
but I am more interested and more temperamentally, you know, suited to. Um, well, what do we do? You know, what's what can we build, rebuild, preserve, move? Right. It's like Bishop says. It, it's mm-hmm. in we're all living in in Hieronymus house, right? Mm-hmm. When I move, I take these things not much more from my shelter from the hurricane. And the point of that poem, or one of the points of that poem, yeah. is that he's actually able to live in that house and like play his trumpet and you know, eat the fish spattered with burning scarlet sauce. It's not anyone's first choice of a life, but it's 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 a life that has all these all this joy and art and continuity. Yeah. And in 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 some very restricted sense, a very restricted, limited one. I don't want to make too much of it because of you know, speaking from a position of whiteness and privilege and money and and New Englandness and all of this. And Hieronimo is a, a figure, I believe, in Cuba who's probably dark skinned, right? But in some very limited sense, we are all Hieronimo now, or we could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if if we were all at least mermaid adjacent, or we would mm-hmm. benefit from thinking about what it would be like to be mermaids and what we can do. And, you know, how does mermaid childcare work? What is <laughs> mermaid play board games? Like, does everything just float away? Like, what is yeah. it? Like? I, yeah. It had a very Ponyo moment with the bubble. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what do we, what do we do? How do we, imagine and expand and protect our loved ones and our communities and and ourselves Mm -hmm. um and how do we build what we want to build and maintain what we can maintain yeah and that's what i want you know these poems to do and also i want them to be fun yeah oh yeah i think the the joy and the play um comes through just throughout the whole book along with like so many really luscious lines. And um, I'm so glad you read the poems you did today. And, you know, I, I hope that everyone gets a copy because it's just, it's the poems we we need right now. Thank you so much. This has been such an honor and so much fun. And um, we could probably both use lunch and I'm sorry. I've kept you for so long. (laughs) No, no. Let's do something like this again soon. Okay. That sounds great. That's so great. Thank you.